Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is your home of a, uh, a top 10 podcast in all college uh, SB Nation podcast land. We are we are rocking the top 10 status, uh, unlike uh, any real programs outside of wrestling um, and softball, I guess they, they, they got there. Uh, but Matt and I are here. So apparently someone's listening to this. I'm assuming most of you probably tune in for the football pods. I am your host, Sam Snelling. Uh we're going to talk about Mizzou basketball with me, always with me, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm fine. I just want to note that in uh, the Kim Palm of podcast ratings, we're actually 45th in efficiency. <laughs> so, but Jesse Newell, but Jesse Newell, that's why Jesse Newell doesn't have us ranked. Yeah. That's why Jesse Newell's left us out of his poll of podcasts. So uh, I, I we can't actually talk about that because that is interesting and i i love dunking on jesse any any chance we can get um but yeah so the the news uh the big news not any uh basketball games that happened uh but um the total downloads i guess uh, is what they're measuring um for all of sb nation college sports and uh and we came in eighth matt we were a a top 10 podcast for college sb nation uh behind Mason Brew, Duke Basketball Report, Burn Orange Nation, Land Grant, Holy Land, One Foot Down, Bucky's Fifth Quarter, Blackheart, Gold Pants, and then your Rock M Nation podcasts. All I can say is that we're Big Ten in podcast spirit. <laughs> so what's funny about that is uh, like earlier, a few months ago, like, you know, they we, we get sort of the report every month. And this is really kind of behind the scenes stuff, but I think it's interesting. Uh, and so we're like, well, let's see if we can figure out like why we're coming in behind some of these teams. Like Bucky's fifth quarter, I'm like, well, surely we can meet, we can catch them. They do like three podcasts a week, like three or four podcasts a week. Like they're they're publishing a podcast almost daily. Uh, and during the football season, it's it's like even more frequent. And I'm just like, like, how are you podcasting that much? Um, so you know, some of it is. Uh, a, a, I think a stronger built-in fan base, obviously like Ohio State, uh, Texas, you know, Michigan, Duke, those are all, you know, pretty passionate fan bases for those programs. One foot down is, uh, I believe the Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, site. Black so, Heart Gold Pants is Iowa. So yeah. Yeah. Black Heart Gold Pants is Iowa. Uh, we are ahead of Crimson and Cream Machine, which is, uh, Oklahoma and Car Chronicle, which is Louisville. So uh yeah i'd say that's pretty good um pretty good company uh so to everyone that listens to these i'd say thank you for listening to us throughout 2021 and and putting up with with the good and the bad of of uh of dive cuts our little podcast here and and before the box score nate and bk i'm i'm thankful that we we finished in the top 10 and i'd like to see us do even better so 
Um, outside of that, Matt, I guess we've got basketball to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's <laughs> what we do here. What um, everybody, you know, just cannot wait. Um, you know, where we, we <laughs> with these pods, now we tell ourselves we're not going to get um upset or agitated or linger on the same things that we did the week before. Um, yeah, uh, two losses last week, but of two distinct varieties. So we we can we can parse the shades of defeat, I guess. Or or look at those and all their all their glory. Yeah, so it looks like Missouri is turning into a, a decent home team. Um they caught their first home loss, I think, since what, like UMKC? Oh, Wichita State. Wichita State. Okay. Um, but since then, yeah, they 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 ran the table. They, you know, they beat Utah, they beat uh Alabama, and it looked like they were gonna beat Texas AM. Um the road though is a different story. So Mizzou is now Ooh, two and five in their last seven, and only only one of those games has been competitive, uh, and that was uh, the game against A and M, where um, you know where really Tigers led through three quarters of the game, if not more. Um, Texas A and M was able to just hang around close enough, despite a horrid start. Um. I think I think they went nine minutes without scoring a basket, without scoring yeah. a point, like no points for like almost nine full minutes, if not more, uh, before. But Missouri had only scored twelve, so they weren't able Missouri to. Uh, Missouri had chances to put them down for quite a while and uh, showed too much mercy. Or yeah, just as as the Missouri offense uh, is is want to do sometimes. Um, <laughs> It's pretty. They turned the death machine off. <laughs> <laughs> they turned the doomsday machine to idle during that stretch. Yeah, <laughs> actually. Um, yeah, no, that was. This is a game, you know. I think you sort of brought it up in study hall, and I sort of tweeted about it in a thread afterwards. Like all the failure here, in a certain sense, comes from one has one genesis and that is ball handling which you could go all the way back to a lack of a point guard you know missouri by looking at a effective field goal percentage true shooting percentage and assist rate was slightly above average to pretty good offensively and they did that with a game plan that i thought was pretty well thought out but you know, if it only matters if, you know, you can value the basketball, you know, possessions are the most important commodity, the most precious commodity. And if you give too many of them away, there's only so much you can do on the offensive glass and through three point shooting to make them up. And A&M kept Missouri off the glass and the Tigers didn't shoot a high enough volume of three pointers to offset them. And so even though they were, you know, much more efficient offensively than A&M, the Aggies get the win because they had more bites at the apple than Missouri did. And, you know, that, that's that been a problem for Missouri all year. And, you know, I think it just underscores that even on days when everything else is working, if you don't have functioning and stable ball handling, you're going to be in a bind potentially. 
And, and, and that, that was certainly the case on Saturday and it wound up costing Missouri a game that, that I agreed with, you know, other, you know, observers that, you know, if, if there's a change at the end of the year, this is one of those games you look back at and go, Oh man, that, 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 that one was certainly one that the staff would want to have in its column in the win column for itself. Yeah. You know, and, and also like, if you're, if you're looking like that would have kept them, um, you know, at, at two and two in conference with, with what I think everybody is going to recognize as a potentially winnable game on the road and, in, in Oxford. I mean, you realize Missouri has not had a lot of success against Ole Miss, uh, and Ole Miss is a, pretty talented team, but they're 104 in Kempom. They're they're having a bit of a up and down year and they're just as capable of laying an egg as Missouri has been. Um you know, and so I think that uh you know I think when you're kind of staring down Alabama and Auburn uh, on Saturday and the following Tuesday, even though that Auburn game is at home, I don't like I just I think kind of going into that uh potentially being able to get yourself to three and two before you kind of hit the skid against those two teams. Cause I just have a feeling when they go to Tuscaloosa, like Alabama is probably going to shoot about 60% from three point range and, uh, and, and win in fantastic fashion. That just seems to be a, a seems to be a little bit of a theme. Um, yeah. That Missouri is catching yeah. on the road here. I mean, we said last week that a good result for Missouri here is coming out of this stretch with Arkansas A&M and Ole Miss with at least one win and hopefully two. If you're trying to, if you're making the argument that this is a program that's showing growth with this particular collection of players. Um, clearly at Arkansas that, and, and we can, I don't know how much we want to dwell on that or just flush that entire debacle, but that, <laughs> Well, we can that talk put, about it. I mean, but that put more pressure on the A and M game, which we said last week. That I said last week, I should be more specific, was the game I was looking to to see as a, as sort of a measuring stick for how this team has grown. And in a vacuum, they did a lot of stuff better. They did a lot. Of, they they showed what it looks like if this team can you know field some modicum of competent offense if they can put some of that together for con- for stretches and you know if they can guard at a consistent level they showed growth there but that's all countered with doing none of those things at, in Fayetteville and i think i said before the pod more disconcerting for me was just the attitude of that game um Arkansas came out just more engaged, well, more energetic, more locked in, and Missouri just did not. Yeah, here's here's s- one thing that I like when you look like Arkansas was supposed to be pretty good this year. They have not been good. Uh, they were like we talked about on the last pod. They were like had lost five of their previous six games. Their only winning was against 242nd Elon. They looked hungry. So this was a team that, and uh, is talented. I mean, like realistically, they they should not have been playing as poorly as they were playing, Uh, and yet they went from like twenty fourth in Ken Palm, like before that stretch, all the way down to like fifty fourth. 
So they were playing bad basketball, and I think that's why a lot of Missouri fans maybe thought that, that Mizzou could maybe go in and, and, and steal one. But they were raring and ready to go. And, 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 uh, and I, I, like, I don't want to say that I didn't expect the game to be close, but it's almost one of the things that we, we've kind of talked about a lot of times where it's one thing to kind of get blown out. You know, like you have a bad night, you have, you have a team has a good night, you get blown out. But Missouri isn't just getting blown out. Like losing by 44 points is is not getting blown out. Like that's what that's what high ma- like good high major teams do to bad mid and low major teams is they beat them by 44. So you can have a bad game, but you can't have as many bad games as badly as Missouri has had them, you know, and just repeatedly go back and and lose really, really bad and lose quickly, you know, to these, uh, these teams who are, who are good, but not like, not great. And so like, I think that's probably where a lot of the frustration is boiling into. So I, you do have to give Arkansas level of credit for doing what they did, but at the same time, the expectation should be for Missouri, like even on a bad night, even with one of your worst uh, basketball teams in a while, you should still not lay that big of an egg, right? Right. And to that, like, it doesn't take extreme talent to come back and set your transition defense. Doesn't take, I mean, there's, Nothing that says you can't run hard, get back, stop the ball, build a wall, keep keep that ball on one side of the floor, and at least get your defense set. I know Arkansas is going to come down; they're going to probably hit you early in the clock, but you can at least bust it to get set. Sometimes that didn't, ha- you know, that just that didn't happen. You know, ball screen coverages just absolutely atrocious. You can clearly see some guys not talking or communicating coverages like. It's hard enough to win that game when you don't when there's the talent gap, but when you're not doing the basics, you just don't give yourself a chance. It and like the, at 15 games into the season, it's not scheme that's that's or scouting that's dictating that. That's just effort level. And you know, maybe Missouri loses loses this game by 20 points if it cares if it's fully engaged. Yeah, and that still would have been, like you said, poor, and it still would have been beyond the Kimpon margin of error, and would have told us something about this roster's construction. But I think what was more disconcerting was just seeing just how apathetic it almost seemed this team was for stretches of this game as to what was happening around them, and you know that that's the more worrying thing. And then they come back against A and M on Saturday, and they play better. But I think what you see now is a cycle where they get blown out of Kansas. They have a week off. They come back. Staff gets into them. They work hard in practice. They come out. Look great against Utah. On a short turn back the next week, get absolutely hammered by Illinois. You know, they get a week off for Kentucky. They have some COVID issues where Martin can't travel with them, you know, they lose by 27. There's the COVID pause again. And, you know, the big storyline coming out of the Alabama game is, you know, coach 
you know, worked us hard in practice. You know, they basically ran us to death. They come out, they take advantage of a crappy Alabama game plan, they get a win. They turn around, they go to Arkansas on a on a shorter turn, and get smacked. And so it's just like you just see this cycle where a team that's growing, maybe you get blown out by thirty seven at Kansas, and that's that's your come to Jesus moment. And you're like, all right, we we've got to be locked in every night. And then whatever happens after that is fine. But you just see the cycle. They get blown out. There's a little bit of a lag. The staff gets into them. They come back. They look better. A little bit shorter turnaround time. They come out. They get, they get throttled again. So it's, again, Ole Miss is not a top 100 Kempom team, but Ole Miss can defend pretty well. That's what they're built on. And they're, they're a physical team defensively. They're, you know, an aggressive team. And every facet of what they do on the defensive end, they're going to get into you. They're going to bump you. They're going to you know, make every possession a slog. And Missouri has not played well there under Conzo Martin. You know, what's it going to happen if they get into Oxford and the same thing happens again? They go on the road, a team gets into them, they get physical, they start bumping them. Are, are, are they going to wilt again? So <laughs> Ole Miss isn't as talented, but I guess what I'm driving at is I don't even know if there's the mentality of this team to stay locked in and engaged unless they're absolutely being, you know, basically patrooned, unless they're being just absolutely, you know, guilted into doing it. Right. And like, you know, like talk about Ole Miss, like Ole Miss is a team that, that has some talent. Uh, they're, they're younger guys. Um, you know, but like Missouri doesn't have a guy that that like has the 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 ability that like Matthew Mural has, or you know Dacian Ruffin. Um, you know those guys are going to be up and down, but if they if they show up and have a good night, I mean they're talented enough that just Missouri won't be able to win that game. Like that's just how it is, and that's you know that's without talking about like Jamin Brakefield, who's also you know, consistently pretty good guy that I really like for that, that team. And I, I, I just don't think he quite uh, gets a lot of the credit as, as Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, kind of does a little bit of everything for him. And yeah, just a guy that plays hard. Uh, you know, he's, he's Kermit kind of guy defends a lot. Uh, you know, he's aggressive attacks the rim. They haven't had Jarkel join in the past three games or three of the past four games, which is hurt. So yeah, no Jarkel and, and Sammy Hunter's hurt too. Yeah. So, some some I'm sorry not uh I always I always mix up Hunter and uh, uh Robert Allen Robert Allen. Allen. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're basically like so the same, mitigating same circumstances. Dude. So mitigating <laughs> some mitigating circumstances through injuries there, but if they had Joyner and Allen who are two really you know, Allen's a good kind of jack of all trades for for them. Joyner you know is a key cog. You know, if all the pieces are fitting together, you know, offensively I think they should have been better than they have, but you know, that that just hasn't transpired um and but kermit's always built his programs on just relentless defense changing defensive looks throwing different pressure looks at you and i think that's the thing that would be most disconcerting here is their base set is a one three one half court trap and then they will roll sometimes they'll roll you know two two one at you they'll do some various pressing looks but for a team that does not have a point guard sam that is is that problematic <laughs> to face a team that 
likes to switch zone and pressure looks quite frequently. Well, I think that could, that can kind of take us back to like A and M. One of the things that they did is they throw a little bit of that that sort of two two one you know token pressure, mostly to try and slow you down. But if you're dumb enough to you know cross half court in one of the corners, like they'll trap that and. <laughs> Or to pick your dribble up after in the corner after right. you cross. It's just like, like there are so many times where it's just like, and you just think back of, you know, like the last few years when Missouri's had a point guard. Like the, the right move there is to like pull the defender more into the middle of the court so you have Get more to room the to middle. work with. And it's just like, like you don't have to be like center court, but I mean. Get to the lane line extended area. <laughs> yeah, like just. Just be, yeah, be in that lane, and and like that's the easiest way to break that sort of token pressure is is like you know f- force the defense to where they don't want to have to defend you, and if they want if they want to try and throw a trap at in the middle of the floor, well, it's, just, it's a lot easier to break out of that than than in the corner. And you know, Missouri was getting trapped in the corners against Texas A&M, and A&M was like not even looking to trap; they were just basically looking to take you know, eight to 10 seconds off the shot clock to make Missouri work with a shorter clock. Uh, and that's like, that's sort of Buzz's MO. Like he's not, he's not out here to try and like pressure and, and co- cause turnovers, but Missouri just coughed the ball up because they were making poor decisions. They also got smarter about trapping, about knowing when to throw the traps on. Like it would be Coleman out of a middle ball screen. They'd read who the guy, who the screener was, and then they'd just trap it. And then they'd force it out there or they, if it was Kobe on basically a high low feed sometimes, or they would try and trap that down and basically say, you know, we're going to deny your best ball handler. We're going to put him under duress and then we're going to absolutely put Kobe under pressure. And there were problems all galore with that. Um, but you know, the one, three, one is if you can get it to the corner and stretch it, you can play out of it a little bit back to the middle, but Again, that requires guys who are pretty sure-handed to execute it and make good decisions under pressure. Not even dribbling, but just good decisions with the ball in their hands with you know pressure coming at them. So just, it's not a good matchup. It's not a good environment. So Ole Miss is 104 in Kempom. The offense isn't great for them, but they can defend their asses off and, and that might be enough. And, you know, if that, if Missouri doesn't get a win there, it, it, you know, I agree they're going to go to Bama this Saturday to a team that's probably going to be um, a little primed. <laughs> a, little, a little pissed off. For that. Um, <laughs> then they got, and they have Auburn coming in here, and whew, um, yeah, uh, Auburn much better than we thought they were going to be. That backcourt is um, ha- has coalesced in a way that I, I, I you know, I shouldn't be, say I'm surprised by it, but still, um, Impressive how that group has come together. Iowa State's looked a little bit uh, more human, but it's still a top three team in Kimpom. Um, Florida, I who knows what you're going to get from Florida any given night they show up. Um, maybe they're going to look great. Maybe they're going to look like garbage. Um, but they're still a top 40 Kimpom team, and then they got to go to A&M. So there, there's not any real reprieve coming here for the next couple of weeks, and definitely not in the next you know, four games, which are all Kim Palm top 50, top 40 opponents. So uh, a win 
in Oxford would very, very much uh, be appreciated <laughs> if, if they can get it there. After that, though, the, there's a risk of a slide. Um, and, I, and then I think you're having the larger conversation that we've tried to avoid <laughs> and just put, keep our, our eyes on the near term. I don't think like we've avoided the conversation considering we've, we've basically talked about it. Um, you know, and, I don't, and, and like, well, I don't I think mean, we've like, been as definitive about a change being made. I think we've always, well, no, because like, that's never, that's never going to be our decision. Um, you know, ultimately it's going to come down to what the athletic department and, and the university wants to do with the program. I mean, realistically, like Zoe could win 10 games down the stretch and they could still decide to make a move. Um, it, it would obviously be less likely because, you know, that's the kind of progress that we've talked about wanting to see, you know, but at this point it's, he's seven and nine, you know, com- coming off a NCAA tournament or not, you know, like seven and nine. And, and we knew that like the non-conference was going to be bumpy, but taking losses versus getting blown out is the problem you know like like if if all of the games they still lost like all those are still losses but they're all like reasonable losses like you lose at 10 by 10 to to kansas you know maybe you you lose by 8 to 12 against illinois you know like we're all feeling a lot better uh, about like the, the progress and the growth that could potentially come but when you're getting housed like that's where the conversation starts to pop up. Like, I don't think, and it, there's always going to be unreasonable people like on Twitter and, you know, message boards and, and all that kind of stuff who, who say outlandish things, but all Zoe had to really do this year was not crater and they've cratered. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is the next three or four, you really just, the runway, you're about out of it. Well, and like, that's the thing. I I think that's why it was important for them to win on Saturday. I think that's why tomorrow, like it's why this game tomorrow. So we're recording on Monday. Um, so by the time, you know, like some of you listen to this, uh, the results are already in and we, we know what's going to happen. Um, you know, but if you, if you aren't competitive at all mess and to me, like this is, this has always been the thing. Like, Wins or losses, uh, I think Josh wrote his column, you know, covering uh, for for you know me trying to celebrate my wife's birthday and not have to worry about Mizzou basketball. So Josh, I thank you for doing that. Um, Josh wrote in his column, about, you know, talking about like after they beat Alabama, like you know how many more wins does Conzo Martin need to save his job? And he, the the response said, "Not that many." Was me. Because I've never thought that this this season was about wins and losses. It's about how they're playing. And I think when you look at if if you have more results like Texas A&M, where it's a game that you really kind of control uh, for the bulk of it. And even when like A&M would make a run and they would kind of put together a little run, they would cut it to like five or four. Mizzou would find another run and they would get it back up to 10. Like that's that is showing progress. Now they did eventually lose, but it was still a close game. If you have every game like that down the stretch, it's close. I still think you can make a case to bring him back. I mean, obviously it would suck if they were one and 17 in league play, but I still think you can make a case because 
they're playing better because all these games are close. Um, but if you're if you're going on the road and and losing by twenty and thirty points, like like pull the plug. Like there's no there's no point. And that's why I think tomorrow's going to be telling for me if they get housed in Oxford. I, I just don't know what there's not many other opportunities. I mean, they get Ole Miss back at home, you know, in mid February, they go to South Carolina and they get Georgia at home. Those two games are in the last week. Those are three games left where you could point to it and say, maybe we get something out of it. And, you know, at that point it's, you know, Four and 14, 10 and 21. Yeah, everything else about it is really just about the optics of every other game and, and how close they are. And, you know, the margins are going to matter here. I, I've always, I remember in the preseason catching Black for saying that, you know, he wouldn't be in trouble if they went 14 and 16. Because I said then, and I'll, and I'll repeat it now, and it's on, and it's similar to you. What did those 14 wins look like? And what did the 16 losses look like? You know, it, it matters there because Zoe, you know, despite what vocal detractors say, earned a de facto extension. We said that a ton. And it was, what was he going to do with it? And, you know, this was, you know, my whole thing this year was, what does he do with the political capital that he earned last spring? And, you know, what has he put together? What does this look like? What's the foundation for the next iteration of this program look like? And so far, it's just been an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> and, you know, there, you know, and that, the and, spectrum, and I think at the other being, end of the spectrum, that, that's being fair. And at the other end of the disaster. spectrum, though, there, there are, there, there are voices like Ben Redrickson, you know, with the Post-Dispatch who are saying, you know, he still thinks Conzo can be successful here. And, well, I agree with that. And, you know, you know, Ben mentioned, you know, there are resource issues and NIL stuff. We've, I've written about it. We've talked about it. All that context matters. But at the end of the day, you cannot reboot a program and have it on this trajectory. And if it finishes the way it's looking like, and I think credibly argue to, you know, stakeholders at the institution that, you need another year to try and you know oversee this program because you will have effectively you'll be in the same situation of you know and we can talk about this and you know we talked about it before we came on of there's a I think there is a finite amount of time left for this iteration of the roster if Zoe is retained I don't think you go into next season with anything approaching what this roster currently is as constructed. No. And so everything about like I would realistically like put the over under on on players being jettisoned. So what we're losing Pickett for sure. So we'll we'll, we'll take that out of the equation. There's 11 other guys, right? Right. I would I would put that at like five and a half. That's a fair that's a fair place to start. So the argument then here is 
to pick up my point, if the argument, you know, that, you know, he does, you know, there needs to be more time here. Zoe will be effectively doing what redoing what he did last spring. And if you are the administration, having seen what you have seen this year, do you feel comfortable giving that staff another crack at it? I don't think so. And so, again, this is a similar theme. How all this looks moving forward matters. And because... Well, I would also put, like, the staff uh, changes. Like, there, there is a... Not just for what's on the roster, but there's a, a... I mean, there's not a lot of time left for who's on the bench next to Conzo, whether or not he's retained, right? Like... Right. So everything if, if here, so regardless back, of whether there's a coaching change here, yeah. there's a finite amount of time left for this program as it is currently constituted. The only question becomes, who do you want overseeing it next year? And that's all it really is at this point. And I, and that's everything else at this juncture is, really just debating you know are you gonna trust the same person to do it over again and you know looking at the schedule and back to Ole Miss tomorrow night that's one of those games just like A&M that takes on added weight I think if you are the administration evaluating this staff you know A&M has not had a good rebuild in the last couple of years Buzz Williams has not gotten as quick attraction as I thought he would have. Um, there have been opportunities, multiple opportunities to get wins over that program last couple of years that have not happened. Even with better Missouri rosters, you know, Ole Miss is way more committed in basketball now than it used to be, but it's still ninth or 10th in this conference. You know, Kermit Davis has, you know, made a tournament, you know, off of the roster he inherited from Andy Kennedy, but this does not look like a tournament roster. This looks like the ninth or tenth best team in the conference. If this program, if Missouri is on the trajectory that you expect under Conzo Martin, you should not be getting blown out by Ole Miss and Oxford. That should not be happening. You know, you look at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's been feisty this year. They've got some, you know, they've got Scotty Pippen Jr. They did a good job in the portal. But if Missouri is the program that you want it to be under Conzo Martin, you should be able to go to Vanderbilt and get a win. Those are the games that I think barring, you know, oh God, Auburn's really good, or oh God, you know, Alabama looks really good and is killing us in recruiting. The benchmarks are, how do you look against the teams that you are immediately trying to pass in the standings? Ole Miss, A&M, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. Those are the games that, to me, take on more weight because those are the programs that, you know, Conzo Martin was brought in to move Missouri past. And if, there's, and if this roster is getting thoroughly manhandled by those teams or not looking competitive in those games, then everything else is irrelevant. You know, chuck out how they look against Alabama, Auburn. Those game, those are the games that I put more weight on. So, again, tomorrow night a, is a bigger test for me than what happens at Alabama or Auburn or Iowa State. Tomorrow's one where I look at, can this staff get this team in a place where it can go on the road, get a win, and start helping itself and, and, and making a stronger case for it to stick around if 
it's something similar to what we've seen on the road recently. I, I don't know how many more, how much more the administration, how much more the administration would need to see, quite frankly, before it, 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 it starts to render a verdict. Yeah. So, uh, I think, I think it was you, um, who pulled out this quote, uh, from Dave Matters game story. It was Martin after the game. <clears throat> and, uh, and Martin said, uh, I said myself uh, to our guys while uh, the game was going on, Martin said, you don't necessarily have to be a point guard to make good decisions, just be a good decision maker. It might not uh, be as efficient and execute everything you're trying to do as a point guard, but you need to get the ball from A to B to get where it needs to go. Be strong with the ball, be a triple threat with the ball. Use shot fakes if you've had the ball long enough, you uh, can be a good ball handler. So I think that's. It more than anything, I think a natural point who's a facilitator, he sees a lot of things that most can't see. So now you're talking about a guy that can possibly get five to 10 assists a game, but you can be a good decision maker without being a true point guard. Um, and so I, I agree with his, his larger points. I think to an extent, regardless of whether or not, you know, you have a, a point guard on a roster, the guys that you have on the roster are still going to have to make decisions with the ball. And there was a lot of poor decision-making with the ball. Um, like I, I think Deshaun Gordon is, is prone to making a lot of poor decisions. Uh, you know, Kobe Brown for everything that he's done this year, he's, he also will turn the ball over quite a bit and, and he made some pretty terrible passes. Um, and I think like this just goes back to why I would rather you have a point guard is if the bulk of your ball handling is coming from a guy who's better at making those decisions, then your margin for error goes down dramatically. Right. But at the same time, like, you know, and kind of speaking to what you're saying about like, do you like, do you as an administration want Consul Martin to be the next guy to construct the roster? And I would say, like, I, I do think that you he he's deserving at this point to be given the benefit of the doubt on certain things. But I like I really think that in large part. The issue with Martin is that he doesn't have anyone who is not like him. On his staff to to, to challenge, to bring a different perspective, I, I think, like. Coach Hollander and Coach Mann uh, and and Coach Harris, all those guys are a lot like Zoe. And so they're all looking for the same things. They're all looking for, you know, tough, hard-nosed guys, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they're not looking for good decision makers. And so we have a roster full of guys who are, who are capable of playing better, but they just, they make a lot of bad decisions. And that that goes back to, like this is the roster they put together and the all like this is why I think like yeah so if if Zoe is going to get another shot next year it's got to be with like four or five spots opened up through transfer and two new assistant coaches as well as some additional support staff like there's there's got to be change in in the way that they're grading players the way that they're looking at players the way that they're building a roster because as you said it it's become an unmitigated disaster 
and not that you you can't do enough down the stretch because if you know the 30 or so minutes of, of good basketball you know ish that they played against texas a&m uh if they take that on the road and they do the same thing to Ole Miss and they turn that into, you know, 40 minutes, they can win down there. You know, and if you, if you go down to Oxford and you win with this group against that group, um, you know, then I think you're starting to have a more positive conversation around the program and a what and around the things that this roster needs to do to basically save their coach's job. Cause I think that's where it's at right now. I, The evaluation, like I, I hear that quote, and, and in a vacuum, it, it sounds great. I agree. Like, yeah, the, you don't need to go the out. You don't need to go out and quote are are correct. But Behind to me, it. it's <laughs> there is concept, and then there is application of the concept, and I think what gets me is if you were to go back. And you were to look at everything you knew about Dejuan Gordon, and you were to talk to scouts, and you were to talk to his high school coach, and you know, really talk to them about his development. Nobody said Dejuan Gordon is a primary or a secondary ball handler. Talk to four people for at least forty-five minutes pop. That's three hours talking to people. The conclusion coming out of that was not Dejuan Gordon is a primary or secondary ball handler. He is a good corner spacer who will attack off the kick and can play downhill. And he's a sneaky, good rebounder who can go get you some putbacks and he'll run the floor hard. There are possessions where he is running the secondary action on the floor. That is not what his game was in high school in AAU or at Kansas state. Maybe that's why he came to Missouri because he would have those opportunities, but there was nothing in, his background that would suggest this guy is just been wasted as a primary or secondary ball handler. Amari Davis, you know, a guy who was not a creator on the ball in high school. He was a guy who was hunting shots, you know, out of scoring actions and scoring cuts. Same thing at Green Bay. Comes in here and now he's running, you know, second side ball screen actions. And you're just like, Amari's really good at a lot of different things like grabbing and going and pushing in transition. If he can get a rebound, he's great at scoring at the elbow. You know, he's great at those things, but he's being asked to do something that he's never done. He's had to do it while he's transitioning up a level. You know, Jerron Coleman, you know, played a little bit as a ball handler in high school, you know, did it in a pinch at ball state, you know, Everything was like, hey, I'm not sure he's a true point, but he could definitely be like a second side kind of combo guard who can play out of that action. He's running primary action here. So what I'm getting at is Conzo says these things, but then you look at the players that they evaluated and what makes up those evaluations of guys and their backgrounds. There's nothing in there that would have said these guys are going to be are primed to be lead ball handlers or secondary guards. Because you can run a multiple ball handler offense. A lot of them do. A lot of modern offenses are. And so it's like, I get what Konzo is saying. Like, it doesn't take being a point guard to make good decisions, but what it does take is a staff understanding the guys that they're putting in those situations and asking them to do things. 
and that's where I, the breakdown comes for me is there was a considered and thoughtful evaluation process, presumably for this. And the criteria that Zoe is talking about his own players that he recruited don't match it. And that's, and to me, as if I were evaluating the staff, it would be like, okay, yeah, I get it. You know more about basketball than I do, but all the pieces you have don't fit the thing you're asking him to do. Shouldn't you as the staff recognize those kind of holes or be able to explain what the, the rationale there was? And so it's just hard for me, even if you get past how this team performs down the stretch, even if this you know, staff somehow, even if you know, Martin manages to earn another year, Seeing what the process wrought this year, are, are you, and even if you have him bring in a new staff, are you confident that there's going to be, you know, improvement there? I, I just, it's just hard for me to get there, having seen what we've seen. And I don't know. It's like, and, and I try and not sound like I'm upset or rage. I try and work through it rationally there. And it's still, it's still kind of maddening when you get to the end of it. So, I mean, here's the thing is like, we, we have seen him uh, perform well, uh, you know, at, at times given decent enough rosters. Um, you know, the first, the first team that he had was, you know, when, when you sort of took off, um, uh, you know, like Michael Porter Jr. was a reasonably talented team. Uh, and I think he he overachieved slightly with that group. I think second year know, is colored by second year is colored by Porter. Johnson yeah, Porter because I really think like, you know, the gamble going in is like the gamble was, OK, like we're going to see if the Porters can kind of paper over or other deficiencies. Uh, and so that's why like there was a bit of a step back in year two, year three. Um, you know, again, injuries kind of bumped them a little bit, but I feel like that team still underachieved a little bit. Um, maybe offsetting the overachievement in in year one. Uh, and then last year's team was about what we thought they would be. Um, I mean, yeah, I, they won some close games, and and there were a couple results in there that you wish could have gone a little differently, but in large part, they were solid NCAA tournament team, but not much more than that. And I think by the end of the year, like the, um, you know, the, there was some personality clash kind of going on. I think, I think X, uh, his, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like there are some quotes in this past off season for both X and from guys that are, you know, currently on, I think Javon had kind of mentioned something about attitudes and, and I think like a lot of that would probably also kind of wore them down, but you know, then he, he, you get a chance to do a reset and like, this is the way that they went. And, and so while I do think that this is clearly gone sideways and it's, it's not the result anybody wanted. And I think it's, you're being fair by saying it's an unmitigated disaster. Uh, I still think that if the results are close enough down the stretch that, you know, I think you can give them the benefit of the doubt provided that big changes are made. But if, but the only counter I would have, but here, 
hear me out because realistically at the end of the season he's going to have to go and and have his end of the year meeting with the ad and the ad is going to be looking for answers on x y and z he's got to have better answers than he had this year and so i you know like coaches we we talk a lot about coach speak and and things that that coaches say and all that kind of stuff and with zoe like i never really know what's real with him uh and so that's what if i were the ad and i was looking at it at the end of the year and that in our meeting like that's what i would be looking for is is real honest answers a a guy who is not only introspective enough to understand what the problems were but also uh aware enough to know what needs to happen to fix those things and then the ability to go and execute that by actually like terminating a job or or uh you know basically telling a, a guy that he needs to transfer out you know like like does Zoe have that in him and if he doesn't then i don't think he's the right guy for the job the only counter i had to that is you could look at the the current recruiting class that came in and you know we we liked we you know we liked the recruits as long-term investments you know we didn't think that there was anything that you know was going to you know come in year 1 and make a real dent the critique could be that you know it's been a long time with some high profile recruiting misses you know land somebody in 2020 or 2021 that's higher profile maybe you've got a younger player admittedly you know, having some growing pains, but, you know, is going to have a couple more pieces that are going to be younger, but more talented than what you got out of the transfer portal. That was sort of a critique that I think you could go, but it's retrospective, but is there. Um, But even setting the quality of the recruit aside, the management of the young players is also, I think, going to loom as a potential issue when we get to the end of the season. Um, there are rumblings already that there's discontent. So, like, well, right. So, like, I mean, not basically not playing Sean Gordon and and then his handling of Anton Brookshire, I I think has has been less than graceful. Um, you know, I I will still contend that uh, having uh, you know Caleb Brown be your sixth man uh, as a high major basketball team is, is coaching malpractice. Uh, you know, like we're past the point of wanting to like try and send messages or try and get some guy to maybe do X, Y, Z. Like if, if you need something else from a guy that's on the roster, then sit him down it's in a like, meeting and tell him that this is what I need from you. Don't, don't put somebody who is clearly not good enough in a role that they're not ready for uh, to prove a point. Like that's hurting everybody else in the team. And so I think like, and look, I, I also, we all like Dura Gordon, you know, because he's fun and exciting. He's also a disaster on the court. Um, he, he gets lost constantly. He doesn't know where he's supposed to go. So, but you still got to find a way to keep him engaged. And I, I do think that the, the four main guys of the class that, that we were, excited about like trevor brazil has shown out he's he's impossible to deny that he's just got potential just falling out of his ears 
but the way he's handled, you know, Brookshire, uh, you know, Kaida, he made mention in the most recent game story about, you know, trying to basically preserve Yaya's knee a little bit. He was kind of limping a little bit. And so like, okay, that makes sense. So then you're really just looking at the way he's handled, you know, Anton and, uh, and Dura Gordon. And it's been poor. Yeah. And there's the Dura Gordon one, I think is, is probably disconcerting in its own way because that was the guy you brought in early. You brought him in at semester last year. He's been in your program for basically a half a season, got a, you know, then did the full off season stuff with you. Like that's a guy that, you, you know, I thought maybe people oversold him a little bit in the preseason, but I thought, okay, you know, if, if he gets his feet wet and he gets act and he gets into real game action, that's a guy who could, you know, maybe slowly, you know, work his way into the, you know, being the first guy off the bench on the wing. And that just hasn't happened at all. And like you said, on there are times on defense where he just looks completely lost in rotation, doesn't know where he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to do, where his matchup is. And that that's like not even stuff. That's like preseason install level stuff right there. Yeah. And that it's happening now is is disconcerting. And then, you know, with, with Brookshire... You know, all freshmen, you know, unless they're elite point guards, are going to probably drive a coach insane to a certain extent. They're going to make some passes and, and go into some windows and, you know, try and make some things happen that, you know, they maybe were able to in high school. They can't make happen at the high major level. And you pull them aside and you say, hey, I get the read there. But like when Brookshire's on the floor, man, like. The thing that he did so well was he coming off ball screens and making the right read as to what he was going to do. Was he just going to attack? Was he going to snake it? Was he going to try and slow up, put a defender in, a, in jail behind him? Was he going to pull up and shoot? You know, they don't run just simple spread pick and rolls to get him in action. You know, it's, and so it's just like when he comes off, it's like if the straight drive isn't there, just move it. And you're like, well, that's, Okay, but that's not really like his game. And then he winds up spacing off the ball. And he's a good, and in high school, he was a good shooter, but he was also really good shooting off movement. But I think it's hard for a guy to come in and, you know, not be engaged and then, you know, just come down, you know, run a secondary, you know, ball screen and then go space away, interchange on the wing, and then expect him to make some things happen. It's just been, and then if there are mistakes that have been made, you know, to get lifted and not see the floor again. It's just, it's hard. I just don't, and we saw this a little bit, you know, with, with, we've seen this with other freshmen and other, you know, guards that he's had where it's like, how long and how much, how much rope does a kid get? And, you know, at what point do you just sort of tell yourself, okay, I'm going to live with some of these mistakes and it just hasn't happened there. So I'm, it's just, if these are the, if these guys are your future. And you're not getting ball handling from anyone else on the roster. Like, why are you sending a message to a guy who can't handle the basketball? Yes, you're going to have some mistakes, but the guy was a combo guard or a point guard. And that's what he's done his entire developmental career. Why are you parking that guy, playing a guy who's not equipped to do it, weakening your ball handling in the process, and upsetting the other guy? 
it just, it's like you said that I just don't understand the management practice, the people management behind it. Yeah. And it's, it's just confounding. So, well, so, uh, yeah, we, we get results, uh, tomorrow night again, this is Monday we're recording. So, uh, if you're listening to this and they've already beaten or lost to Ole Miss, uh, then you know more than we do. Um, so then they'll, uh, turn around and travel to Tuscaloosa, um, to take on an Alabama team who has now lost three in a row, uh, Alabama. Um, after losing to Missouri, lost to Auburn, which is understandable. Um, Auburn's been pr- playing really well. Uh, then they went on the road and lost um, at the Hump, Mississippi State. And so they're on a three-game skid. Uh, they get LSU at home and then Missouri at home. LSU's played really well uh, on the road at times, so that's a, that's a game that could show up in the a loss column, and you really don't want Alabama coming off four, four losses. Um, so we'll be back uh, next week to kind of talk about the Alabama game and the uh, Ole Miss game. Um, anything else you want to hit before we get out of here? No, just again, thank you to everyone for uh, listening. And uh, we appreciate you putting up with us and our sometimes our incoherence. But um, hopefully we try and serve as a you know a conduit for you all and your feelings and, you know, <laughs> Again, we appreciate you you somehow choosing us to do that. So, um, as always, appreciate you guys and uh, all, all that you give to us. So, uh, that's it for us. Um, I don't know when Nate and BK are going again. Um, I don't know when the last time they went was. Uh, will will, it, was, will another coach leave the staff? Will another coach leave the staff before they report again? <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of... You know, I, I think I made the comment, uh, what was it, on, on Twitter, that, you know, like, I, we were just really spoiled with very little, like, coaching turnover with Gary Pinkle for a lot of years. Um, and, someone you know, and it was just someone else that was already in the program. Yeah, and, like, realistically, like, even Barry Odom didn't have that much roster turnover. He did ha- have, like, turnover at a few key positions, and, I, you know, first staff kind of flipped a little bit quickly but uh man i feel like we're always talking about uh, new assistant coaches in the football team uh so yeah hope hope that's all gonna work out uh but they'll they're probably gonna record this week if not this week probably next week um so make sure that you're subscribed so you get all those beamed right into your your device you can listen in the car uh or at your home office if you're you're like me and you're working from home these days still Fighting through the Omicron variant, Matthew. We're all uh, we're all trying to avoid getting the getting the COVID. I'm still ducking, dodging, and weaving, baby. Hey. Uh, so yeah, get get vaccinated, get your booster, um, and then you know, breathe the free air. Um, we'll be back uh, next week. Talk about this stuff as uh, as usual. Thanks for tuning in. Has been a uh, it was a fun 21 in some respects and let's hope uh 22 has a lot more to talk about at least uh so until then thanks for tuning in everybody